0: Chapter twenty of Chicot the Jester by Alexander Dumas This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by john Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia. Chapter twenty How Chicot, forced to remain in the abbey, saw and heard things very dangerous to see and hear. Chicot hastened to get down from his chair and to mix among the monks so as to discover, if possible, what signs they used. By peeping over their shoulders he found out that it was a farthing with a star cut in the middle. Argascon had plenty of farthings in his pocket, but unluckily none with a star in it. Of course, if when on coming to the door he was unable to produce the necessary signs, he would be suspected and examined. He gained the shade of a pillar which stood at the corner of a confessional and stood there wondering what he should do. An assistant cried, Is everyone out? The doors are about to be shut no one answered chicot peeped out and saw the chapel empty with the exception of the three monks who still kept their seats in the front of the choir provided they do not shut the windows it is all i ask thought chicot let us examine said the young lad to the porter then the porter lifted a taper and followed by the young lad began to make the tour of the church there was not a moment to lose chicot softly opened the door of the confessional slipped in and shut the door after him they passed close by him and he could see them through the spaces of the sculpture diable thought he he cannot stay here all night and once they are gone i will pile chairs upon benches pelion on ossa and get out of the window ah yes but when i have done that i shall be not in the street but in the court i believe it will be better to pass the night in the confessional gorenflot's robe is warm extinguish the lamps now cried the lad and the porter with an immense extinguisher put out the lamps and left the church dark except for the rays of the moon which shone through the windows the clock struck twelve ventre de biche said chicot henri if he were here would be nicely frightened but luckily i am less timid come chicot my friend good night and sleep well then chicot pushed the inside bolt made himself as comfortable as he could and shut his eyes he was just falling asleep when he was startled by a loud stroke on a copper bell and at the same time the lamp in the choir was relighted and showed the three monks still there what can this mean thought chicot starting up brave as he was chicot was not exempt from superstitious fears he made the sign of the cross murmuring Vada retro satanas but as the lights did not go out at the holy sign chicot began to think he had to deal with real monks and real lights but at this moment one of the flagstones of the choir raised itself slowly and a monk appeared through an opening after which the stone shut again at this sight chicot's hair stood on end and he began to fear that all the priors and abbés of saint Genevieve, from Opsot, dead in 533 down to pierre boudin predecessor of the present superior were being resuscitated from their tombs and were going to raise with their bony heads the stones of the choir but this doubt did not last long brother monsoreau said one of the monks to him who had just made so strange an appearance yes monseigneur said he open the door that he may come to us monsoreau descended to open the door between the staircases and at the same time the monk in the middle lowered his hood and showed the great scar that noble sign by which the Parisians recognized their hero. "'The great Henry of Guise himself,' thought Chicot, "'whom his very imbecile Majesty believes occupied at the siege of La Charité. "'Ah, and he at the right is the Cardinal of Lorraine, "'and he at the left, Monsieur de Mayenne, "'a trinity not very holy, but very visible.' "'Did you think he would come?' said Le Balafre to his brothers. I was so sure of it that I have under my cloak wherewith to replace the holy vial. And Chicot perceived by the feeble light of the lamp a silver gilt box richly chased. Then about twenty monks with their heads buried in immense hoods came out of the crypt and stationed themselves in the nave. A single one conducted by M. de Monsereau mounted the staircase and placed himself at the right of M. de Guise. Then Monsieur de Guise spoke. Friends, said he, time is precious therefore i go straight to the point you have heard just now in the first assembly the complaints of some of our members who tax with coldness the principal person among us the prince nearest the throne the time has come to render justice to this prince you shall hear and judge for yourselves whether your chiefs merit the reproach of coldness and apathy made by one of our brothers the monk gorenflot whom we have not judged it prudent to admit into our secret at this name pronounced in a tone which showed bad intentions toward the warlike monk chicot in his confessional could not help laughing quietly monsieur said the duke now turning towards the mysterious personages at his right the will of god appears to me manifest for since you have consented to join us it shows that what we do is well done now your highness we beg of you to lower your hood that your faithful friends may see with their own eyes that you keep the promise which I made in your name and which they hardly dared to believe. The mysterious personage now lowered his hood, and Chicot saw the head of the Duc d'Anjou appear, so pale that by the light of the lamp it looked like that of a marble statue. Oh, oh, thought Chicot, the Duke is not yet tired of playing for the crown with the heads of others long live monsieur le duc d'anjou cried the assembly the duke grew paler than ever fear nothing monseigneur said Henry de guise our chapel is deaf and its doors are well closed my brothers said the comte de Monsoreau, his highness wishes to address a few words to the assembly yes yes cried they gentlemen began he in a voice so trembling that at first they could hardly distinguish his words i believe that god who often seems insensible and deaf to the things of this world keeps on the contrary his piercing eyes constantly on us and only remains thus careless in appearance in order to remedy by some great blow the disorders caused by the foolish ambitions of men i also have kept my eyes if not on the world at least on france what have i seen there the holy religion of christ shaken to its foundation by those who sap all belief under the pretext of drawing nearer to god and my soul has been full of grief in the midst of this grief i heard that several noble and pious gentlemen friends of our old faith were trying to strengthen the tottering altar i threw my eyes around me and saw on one side the heretics from whom i recoiled with horror on the other side the elect and i am come to throw myself into their arms my brothers here i am the applause and bravo's resounded through the chapel then the cardinal turning to the duke said you are amongst us of your own free will of my free will monsieur who instructed you in the holy mystery my friend the comte de monsoreau a man zealous for religion then said the Duke de guise as your highness has joined us have the goodness to tell us what you intend to do for the league i intend to serve the catholic religion in all its extent entre de biche thought chicot why not propose this right out to the king it would suit him excellently processions macerations extirpation of heresy faggots and auto-de-fe go on worthy brother his majesty noble imbecile go on and the duke as if sensible of the encouragement, proceeded. But the interests of religion are not the sole aim which you gentlemen propose. As for me, I see another, for when a gentleman has thought of what he owes to God, he thinks of his country and he asks himself if it really enjoys all the honor and prosperity which it ought to enjoy. I ask this about our France, and I see with grief that it does not. Indeed, the state is torn to pieces by different wills and tastes, one as powerful as the other. It is, I fear, to the feebleness of the head which forgets that it ought to govern all for the good of its subjects, or only remembers this royal principle at capricious intervals, when the rare acts of energy are generally not for the good, but the ill of France. That we must attribute these evils, whatever be the cause, the ill is a real one, although I accuse certain false friends of the king rather than the king himself therefore i join myself to those who by all means seek the extinction of heresy and the ruin of perfidious counselors this discourse appeared profoundly to interest the audience who throwing back their hoods drew near to the duke monseigneur said the duc de guise in thanking your royal highness for the words you have just uttered i will add that you are surrounded by people devoted not only to the principles which you profess but to the person of your highness and if you have any doubt the conclusion of this sitting will convince you monseigneur said the cardinal if your highness still experiences any fear the names of those who now surround you will i hope reassure you here is monsieur le gouverneur monsieur d'antragues monsieur de ribeirac and monsieur de Levarot, and gentlemen whom your highness doubtless knows to be as brave as loyal here are besides monsieur de castillon monsieur le baron de Lusignan, Monsieur uh, Crouchet and Leclerc, all ready to march, under the guidance of your highness, to the emancipation of religion and the throne. We shall then receive with gratitude the orders that you will give us." Then Monsieur de Mayenne said, "'You are, by your birth and by your wisdom, monseigneur, the natural chief of the Holy Union, and we ought to learn from you what our conduct should be with regard to the false friends of his majesty, of whom you just now spoke.' "'Nothing more simple replied the prince with that feverish excitement which in weak natures supplies the place of courage to weak minds when venomous plants grow in a field we root them up the king is surrounded not with friends but with courtiers who ruin him and calls a perpetual scandal in france and all christendom it is true said the duc de guise in a gloomy tone and said the cardinal these courtiers prevent us who are his majesty's true friends from approaching him as we have the right to do by our birth and position let us then said m de mayenne leave the heretics to the vulgar leaguers let us think of those who annoy and insult us and who often fail in respect to the prince whom we honor and who is our chief the duc d'anjou grew red let us destroy continued mayenne to the last man the cursed race whom the king enriches and let each of us charge ourselves with the life of one we are thirty here let us count i said d'Antragues, charge myself with quelus i with maugiron said Liverot, and i with schomberg said ribeirac good said the duke and there is bussy my brave bussy who will undertake some of them and us cried the rest Monsieur de monsoreau now advanced gentlemen said he I claim an instant's silence. We are resolute men, and yet we fear to speak freely to each other. We are intelligent men, and yet we are deterred by foolish scruples. Come, gentlemen, a little courage, a little hardihood, a little frankness. It is not of the king's minions that we think. There does not lie our difficulty. What we really complain of is the royalty which we are under and which is not acceptable to a French nobility, prayers and despotism, weakness and orgies prodigality for fetes which make all europe laugh and parsimony for everything that regards the state and the arts such conduct is not weakness or ignorance it is madness a dead silence followed this speech everyone trembled at the words which echoed his own thoughts monsieur de Monsoreau went on must we live under a king foolish inert and lazy at a time when all other nations are active and work gloriously while we sleep Gentlemen, pardon me for saying before a prince who will perhaps blame my temerity, for he has the prejudices of family, that for four years we have been governed not by a king, but by a monk. At these words, the explosion so skillfully prepared, and as skillfully kept in check, burst out with violence. Down with the Valois, they cried. Down with brother Henry. Let us have for chief a gentleman, a knight, rather a tyrant than a monk. Gentlemen. Gentlemen cried the duc d'anjou hypocritically let me plead for my brother who is led away let me hope that our wise remonstrances that the efficacious intervention of the power of the league will bring him back into the right path hiss serpent hiss said chicot to himself monseigneur replied the duc de guise your highness has heard perhaps rather too soon but still you have heard the true meaning of the association No." We are not really thinking of a league against the Bernays, nor of a league to support the church, which will support itself. No, we think of raising the nobility of France from its abject condition. Too long we have been kept back by the respect we feel for your highness, by the love which we know you to have for your family. Now all is revealed, Monseigneur, and your highness will assist at the true sitting of the league. All that has passed is but preamble." what do you mean monsieur le duc asked the prince his heart beating at once with alarm and ambition monseigneur we are united here not only to talk but to act today we choose a chief capable of honoring and enriching the nobility of france and as it was the custom of the ancient franks when they chose a chief to give him a present worthy of him we offer a present to the chief whom we have chosen all hearts beat and that of the prince most of any yet he remained mute and motionless betraying his emotion only by his paleness gentlemen continued the duke taking something from behind him here is the present that in your name i place at the feet of the prince a crown cried the prince scarcely able to stand a crown to me gentlemen long live francois the third cried all the gentlemen drawing their swords ah i cried the duke trembling with terror and joy, it is impossible, my brother still lives, he is the anointed of the Lord." "'We depose him,' said the duke, waiting for the time when God shall sanction by his death the election which we are about to make, or rather, till one of his subjects, tired of this inglorious reign, forestalls by poison or the dagger the justice of God." "'Gentlemen,' said the duke feebly, monseigneur then said the cardinal to the scruple which you so nobly expressed just now this is our answer henry the third was the anointed of the lord but we have deposed him it is you who are going to be so here is a temple as venerable as that of rheims for here have reposed the relics of saint Genevieve, patroness of paris here has been embalmed the body of clovis our first christian king well monseigneur in this holy temple i one of the princes of the church, and who may reasonably hope to become one day its head, I tell you, Monseigneur, that here, to replace the holy oil is an oil sent by Pope Gregory the Eighth. Monseigneur, name your future Archbishop of Rheims, name your constable, and in an instant, it is you who will be king, and your brother Henry, if he do not give you up the crown, will be the usurper. Child, light the altar." immediately the lad who was evidently waiting came out and presently fifty lights shone round the altar and choir then was seen on the altar a mitre glittering with precious stones and a large sword ornamented with fleur-de-lis it was the archbishop's mitre and the constable's sword at the same moment the organ began to play the veni creator this sudden stroke managed by the three lorraine princes and which the duc d'anjou himself did not expect made a profound impression on the spectators. The courageous grew bolder than ever, the weak grew strong. The Duc d'Anjou raised his head and, with a firmer step than might have been expected, walked to the altar, took the mitre in the left hand and the sword in the right, presented one to the cardinal and the other to the duke. Unanimous applause followed this action. "'Now, gentlemen,' said the prince to the others, "'give your names to Monsieur de Mayenne, Grand Master of France.' And the day when I ascend the throne, you shall have the cordon bleu." "'Modieu,' thought Chicot, "'what a pity I cannot give mine. I shall never have such another opportunity.'" "'Now to the altar, sire,' said the cardinal. "'Monsieur de Monsoreau, my colonel, Monsieurs de Riberac and Dantragues, my captains, and Monsieur Levarot, my lieutenant of the guards, take your places.'" Each of those named took the posts which, at a real coronation, etiquette would have assigned to them. Meanwhile the cardinal had passed behind the altar to put on his pontifical robes. Soon he reappeared with the holy vial. Then the lad brought to him a Bible and a cross. The cardinal put the cross on the book and extended them towards the Duc d'Anjou, who put his hands on them and said, In the presence of God, I promise to my people to maintain and honor our holy religion, as a Christian king should and may god and his saints aid me then the duc de guise laid the sword before the altar and the cardinal blessed it and gave it to the prince sire said he take this sword which is given to you with the blessing of god that you may resist your enemies and protect and defend the holy church which is confided to you take this sword that with it you may exercise justice protect the widow and the orphan repair disorders so that covering yourself with glory by all the virtues, you will be a blessing to your people. Then the prince returned the sword to the duc de Guise and knelt down. The cardinal opened the gold box and, with the point of the golden needle, drew out some holy oil. He then said two prayers and, taking the oil on his finger, traced with it a cross on the head of the prince, saying, Ungo dein regem de olio sanctifactico, in nomine patris et filii et spiritus sancti, the lad wiped off the oil with an embroidered handkerchief. Then the cardinal took the crown and holding it over the head of the prince said, God crown thee with the crown of glory and justice. Then placing it, Receive this crown in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. All brandished their swords and cried, Long live Francois the Third, Sire, said the cardinal, you reign henceforth over France gentlemen said the prince i shall never forget the names of the thirty gentlemen who first judged me worthy to reign over them and now adieu and may god have you in his holy keeping the Duke de mayenne led away the new king while the other two brothers exchanged an ironical smile end of chapter twenty recording by john van stan savannah georgia